Hey. Yo. Hey, how you doing, yeah? Good. Uh, I got real drunk and salty on Twitter last night, so now I'm drinking. Now I'm drinking coffee. I don't mind. I don't have any like. I don't. It's like, it's basically just like idle bathroom graffiti at this point. <laughs> yeah, I like, feel like, it. like I'm not too worried about it. Nice. I didn't. I didn't see any of the drunk posting because I think I was asleep like probably one or so. Oh dang. The. Yeah. I don't know. I just I I really love tearing into MFA writers recently. <laughs> nice, a, a good pastime. Basically, like just looking at, like the quality is there, like from a craft point of view, but it's just ultimately just a little bit soulless. Like the stuff misery tour misery tourism publishes and, um, like expat and like. Like people did mark this outsider late, but it's not mark this outsider late as like a sales thing. It's like literally people who would not yeah. be published because the stuff they're writing is too weird to you know MFA, um, you know EICs. Right, right. To that sensibility, yeah. You know, I feel like, like yeah. Um, no, go go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say I feel like we uh, our main mission is to publish things that other people won't publish as you said um because there is an outlet for pretty much every other thing out there <laughs> you know it's just yeah yeah or at least i mean that's the way it seems you know the thing that struck me about specifically about um that i wouldn't call it a phenomenon because it's pretty much par for the course but like the elizabeth fall thing i think that was her last name and the oh uh, yeah isabel fall yeah um, her people who were criticizing it didn't even read the story. They yeah. just go went strictly by the title, strictly by the headline. I'm like, yeah. our our entire culture has become like Reddit, like people reading yeah. the headline and that's the truth and that's like the entirety of something, right? Yeah. Which you would think in writing or creative writing when there's you know anywhere from you know a sentence to a novel worth of words that it'd be a little bit more complex than what's on the title or the cover of the, <laughs> the piece, but nope, it's the headline. Yep. It's titles as headlines. That's where we're at now in our culture. Yep. That's, that's what happens, I guess. I mean, but I mean, it's still good to put a good title on it. Cause that's where, you know, you got to hook them. That's the marketing, yep. the marketing, marketing slug inside my brain. <laughs> Yeah, I think like the the bite size engagement stuff, like uh, you know Reddit and all that stuff, has really kind of poisoned a lot of the a lot of communities. Not just writing, yeah, pretty much everything else. And it's just like, oof. There's like an oddly wholesome subreddit that I remember visiting when I was like interested in music, mm -hmm. um, called like it was like it was like independent it was like a hip-hop reddit but like for people who are making hip-hop music mm -hmm. in their bedrooms or whatever so like home studio oh sort of thing and like everyone was like really positive it reminded me of like the instagram poetry community in like 2016 where like yeah. like you didn't have to say negative things to people to critique them but there was like a self-selection bias where like people would find things they like just because there's <laughs> so many people doing it yeah yep or is that weird sort of like you don't have to be I, I can't remember who posted about like the, the poison toxic positivity or whatever like just don't like just don't engage with things you don't like like how difficult is that yeah I mean it's better than the the inverse of that the toxic negativity or you know the... <laughs> yeah like it's better than just shitting on everything you know that's basically my thing it's like yeah if I don't like it I just won't touch it you know yeah it doesn't really Really hurt I think there's a Kanye quote. It's like, or no, sorry, no, it wasn't Kanye. It's someone else. It's if it don't hit my soul, I don't like touch it or something. I can't remember. The line. Oh it's, yeah, it's I crazy. know. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I, I don't know if that is Kanye or not. Yeah, I guess if I don't hit my soul, I don't fuck with it. You know that kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes that makes sense. Like, it's just like a simple thing, you know. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. 
Um, I know uh, at Misery Tourism, we've been trying to uh, to not engage in the, I guess the the internet culture war, zeitgeist or whatever. Is it still happening? I, I guess. I mean, I guess there's still, you know, there's still a little drama every once in a while. Right. But you know, we just don't engage it anymore because it's fucking stupid, and who cares, you know? Yeah, it's like it's like keeping your eyes on your own paper, staying in your lane, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You guys have been doing well just doing that. Like, yeah, that's when you get the. I, I use the slang wrong all the time, but like, that's where, that's what happens when you like keep your eyes focused on your own vision, and like, is that yeah. there will be people trying to like drag you down no matter what. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. But it's, it's mildly exciting that you guys got so many submissions now that you literally can't even. Yeah, no, we, we literally couldn't keep up. We had to we had to close for a bit just to publish what we had. Is is reading submissions for uh, yourself like like is like energizing, or does it kind of drag when you know you have to do it? Uh, it's kind of. I'll be honest. It's kind of. Uh, difficult i wouldn't call it like a drag but it's difficult to because my mind doesn't focus very easily on that kind of thing so um what i do like uh, is when i find stuff in there that really connects with me and i always uh, i always kind of dread writing the emails because i always feel like i want to write something to them that speaks to how they connected with me, you know, how they put on a personal level with me. That's why I do kind of dread the process going through, but it's not because I don't really like it. It's just because I, I really don't, I really want to find the right words to, you know, for submissions that we accept, Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously we do form rejections, but uh, for submissions that we accept, I want to find the right words to say, Hey, you communicated something to me, you know, Hey, you, you know, this is how you connected with me because I think that's important that people know, you know, how, you know, one, if they, you know, hit someone else or they touch somebody else, but also, you know, how they, they did that. Because I know for me in my own work, I, I always want to know, like, you know, if someone makes a connection with something that I've written, because a lot of times yeah. I feel like my own personal stuff is just kind of weird and esoteric or whatever. Uh, but, you know, I found stuff in the submissions piles that, you know, I, hey, you know, I can connect with other people and I want to tell them how they did, you know, how I believe they did that. You know, that's one thing I want to do as like an editor or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, that's what makes like that this specific community, you yourself and uh, William, and also uh, Manny would mm-hmm. put that personal touch in where like they'd really like dig deep into how they felt about the piece yeah and when you get like their um just for feedback and it feels like really good in a way that like even having the thing published doesn't rarely matches the the personal touch right like having yeah someone who's thought deeply about what you've written yeah no definitely no, I know definitely for me, like any feedback I've gotten on my stuff has, you know, been in that realm, you know, like, um, like that, that kind of positivity is definitely good. Like, Hey, like this connected with me and I can explain to you how, so I'm, you know, it's, it's kind of like reaching out. Like it's, I guess it's kind of like a personal, like, you know, like, Hey, like it's vulnerability basically sort of yeah. try to put that into, you know, the email back to people because I want people to to feel that, you know, to feel that, you know, we, you know, we do feel some personal connection for their work and, um, you know, that people should write this shit, you know, people should do it. Cause I noticed like the people who publish, like the writers who are actually in this shit, right? Like, cause, cause I've known creative writers who came out of wherever, either they finished their degree or they dropped out. Mm-hmm. And they they'd maybe do like six months of submitting to these like like <laughs> like university adjacent magazines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they'd get like mostly re- they'd get rejections. Maybe they get one, but like they just didn't. 
that would deter them, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I always come back to the the Stephen King story in on writing where he would just collect his rejection letters. I know I've seen like a lot of salt about that. Like, no, you shouldn't <laughs> celebrate your rejections at yourself. It's like, mm. no, it's like it's a resilience thing, right? Like, yeah, you're exactly. showing, proving to yourself that you're resilient every time someone like you submit somewhere that doesn't, yeah, vibe with your work. Yep. Yep. Definitely. I feel like you know you you do that long enough and it's like nothing deters you anymore right exactly yeah yeah no and one thing is uh you know like when we get one thing i like to see in like submissions and stuff is basically it's like put your most put your personal shit out there i mean put like submit to us something you wouldn't submit to anywhere else because we always we read everything but we always take you know, take kindness on that because it's like, hey, you, you know, you're being vulnerable. You're, you know, you're putting out something that like is just especially made with us in mind or in our, you know, that's in our like, it's in our wheelhouse, you know, it's something that's in our, like what we do, like something you know, miserable yeah. guess, or whatever, but yeah. you know, it's, it shows like, it shows like a willingness to, to be vulnerable and to take that risk. Like that's appreciated, honestly, like, at least for you know, for me, definitely. And I know for William too. Um, you know that we appreciate shit like that when people say like, "Hey, you know, like I thought of you guys when you, we were submitting this, or you know, this is something I wrote, you know, in this mindset or whatever you know you want to call it." That that's definitely appreciated. You know, what I mean, because it already feels personal from the get go. If you, you right, say, you know, um, I feel like. It's also this, like, it wasn't, like, this type of, like, magazines like Misery Tourism or wherever, they may not have existed when I was, you know, in my late teens and 20s. -hmm. There was no community like that for that. And I feel like having these spaces now is is going to be a real boon for, like, younger writers. Like, Mm -hmm. like, I don't, I don't, like, everyone's somewhat, it's pseudo-anonymous, right? But, like, you can tell when someone's starting the journey of mm-hmm. like their own expression, right? And having an outlet for that that's like out there and where you can get feedback, whether whether it's through through the publications on Twitter or yeah, um, Misery Loves Company in general, like yeah. that's that's huge for writers who are starting out. No, definitely. And uh, William has put a like a huge amount of work into you know Misery Loves Company and the social aspect of it. Um, you know, that I really don't, um, I really don't get a lot of the social aspects that he's put a lot, a lot more work into that. Definitely. Especially mm-hmm. the, with the misery loves company, which as he said, is a really important, you know, like gateway drug or whatever you want to call it for like people who just want to share their stuff. Um, yeah. and I think that's one super important thing is like you said, this didn't exist like 10 years ago, uh, yeah. it didn't exist five years ago, you know? So that's some of the things we're doing like now. Um, it was all through forums. Before. Yeah. I yeah, exactly. Which is like extremely impersonable and unintimate depending on like, yeah, even if it's a, a large board, you're still going to have like maybe a hundred people read your story and two people respond. Right. So you're never really yeah. going to know if it's just, just like, and a lot of times it's people who are just like really have an ax to grind about something. Yeah, and yep. they're they're the ones who are giving like the most time and attention just to shit on stuff. Exactly. Yep. I mean, you know. I know. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Hey. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, like some of the most like intimate experiences I've had with like critique and stuff have been on forums. Strangely, um, mm. but they were forums that basically, um, I found just pretty much out of luck. Like just because of the obscure hobbies and stuff I'm into, like uh, I know there was one uh, forum. <laughs> this is a, like it was like super old. Like I think around 2008 was when and William uh, were on it. Uh, it's called Conworlds.info. It, it was literally it had a .info address. <laughs> oh wow! 
and it was about like world building and stuff. Um, and we were lucky enough to be on there at a time when it was super like booming because all the people had come from this subreddit, I think. I may, no, it wasn't a subreddit. It was another forum. And it was called the ZBB uh, boards or something. And it, that was a forum that did conlanging, which is like, you know, constructed languages. And they split off oh. from there because all the people like to shit on conworlding or something there. They didn't like, they, there wasn't really enough space for them there. So they made their own community. I know some of the like best, like most encouraging stuff, like as far as feedback I've gotten has been from people there, weirdly. And at first, when I went on there, like when we were we were all on there like together, like me, uh, William, and Brandon, um, and we uh, we would post all of our setting like stuff because we all have like D and D settings and shit that we, you know, we were doing at the time, and yeah. we post all of our shit and like. When we first got there, like there was a razzing, definitely a razzing period. Um, <clears throat> but I feel like they kind of settled into some of our personalities after right. a while, and it was definitely feedback. I know, like I got was very encouraging, like to start up, to start like making the stuff that I had like more than it was, like more than like a D and D setting. Not that there's anything wrong with you know starting that way, you know, starting as, as a D and D setting or whatever. Because it's all creative shit, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. But it, to turn it more into, like, something, like, for other people, you know, and something that other people could understand and other people could view and say, hey, like, I want to make something like that, you know, or whatever. So that – but that that community was actually really encouraging for me because of the intimacy. There was only, like, maybe 20, 25 regular posters there. <clears throat> and, you know, all every time you post, you would get – you know, a thread full of like, you know, th there'd be people knocking the shit, but there'd also be people like asking questions and, um, you know, engaging with it <coughs> in ways that I think like the modern social media, you typically don't have that engagement from the wider audience because it is a wider audience and because people don't really want, you know, it's all bite size, right? So Twitter is bite size, Reddit is bite size. Like there's mm -hmm. not really like threads full of engagement because, and, you know, on Twitter, not everybody may share the hobby or whatever. You may have it on a hashtag or something like that. But, you know, not everybody's necessarily going to share your hobby. Whereas a forum, I think, is intimate in a way, if you can find the right one. And that was the game of the day, you know, is finding the right forums to, you know, to, to plug your shit or whatever so yeah. that you can plug into other people. I know that. I remember a lot of writers in high school would be very because we all had internet back in like like grade 11 grade 12 everyone pretty much had broadband or at the very least dial up mm -hmm. and there, i remember dating this like one lady from like this rich part of surrey mm -hmm. and she would just not tell me where she was posting right she just said role-playing and i'm like yeah i'm like i'm like where can i read it she's like no like is it Harry Potter <laughs> slash fair? Because that that was a thing back then. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, and they're just like very guarded about their work. <laughs> like, yeah, and and the people who weren't were the people who were in like into D and D and stuff. Like I had a friend yeah. who was the DM who every week he'd like shut down the previous week's campaign and then mm -hmm. just so he was able to tell another story and tell another story of like this world that he had started constructing or a different part of a world yeah and it was like, it was like <laughs> just never advancing always making characters every week and yeah yeah but yep, we're getting to hear this really weird and like good story coming out of a fucking like a 15 year old yeah. i still think about him a lot because his stories were just insanely like they're esoteric mm. like planescape kind of esoteric oh okay, there's yeah. like a setting to describe um really into like the planar aspect of uh right a city of, of doors type of yeah 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 no that's i really like i really think that dnd is probably like the best thing that ever happened to me like and dnd gets a lot of flack is like oh like, you know, like, you know, that's your first game. It's going to poison your mind. Like, you know, it get all these bad habits, you know, in the TTRPG community, they always say like, it gets you all these bad habits because 
it's the biggest game. And, you know, when you go, when you transition into like indie games, like some of the, you can't really take some of the things from D and D or else it might color your experience the wrong way or so they think or whatever. Um, but D and D because it's so big tent, I think is such a huge like resource for a lot of people. Like it's huge. I mean, it's, it brings people into the environment or the ecosystem or that kind of form of creativity in yeah. a way that no other game has. Like, right. I remember when I was starting out, we were doing second edition and third edition started and there's like a huge talk about, Oh, mm. it's all for like noobs and stuff now. And like, <laughs> we're going, we're going to GURPS. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and, GURPS, yeah. And like that stuff faded away and D and D became more and more popular to where like, mm. I have friends who would not have played D and D in high school now playing D and D. Yeah, no, like once a week it. and like excited about it too. Yeah, and that and like you can't take away from that that effect on the actual ecosystem because like not everyone is gonna then go look for indie, you know, like a a one shot one off campaign set in this world cyberpunk world that someone posted on like <laughs> RPG. The, the RPG store, the RPG player store. I can't remember the name of it, but like that's where a lot of people sell their game systems, even if they're just oh, one-off campaigns. Like drive-through RPG or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. But like, the, there will be a willingness to play it. So if one person decides, like, hey, I want to start this thing, like they're yeah. going to get the players that weren't there, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, personally, I think there is space in the hobby for pretty much everything. And yeah, I'd like it if there were less spotlight on D&D and uh, all that stuff. But, you know, I mean, like in the indie community, there's monoliths too. I mean, there's Apocalypse World. There's, you know, Blades in the Dark. There's all that shit. I mean, people are like, well, I wish D&D weren't so big. You know, it's like, well, I wish, you know, Apocalypse World and Blades in the Dark weren't so big. I mean, but they're good games. Yeah. And, and they're good. You know, it's like, and a lot of people connect with that, so it's like, okay, like you know, what do you? You can't really fight Star Wars or that kind of thing, you know. So it's yeah. yeah. I mean, I've always had the reaction. It's like it's, creativity is the only thing that I'm kind of like cringe libertarian about. Like, mm-hmm. if you don't like the way things are, make something that goes against what you don't like. Mm-hmm. You can't just sit on the sidelines complaining that other people aren't making your perfect game. You have to make it yourself. Yeah, you got to make it yourself. Um, and that's what I don't know. And people really hate that, especially if they're from Tumblr. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> Damn, I mean, like the world bending to the perception of your own personal subjective impression of the world. I don't know. Yeah, Creativity I mean, I think... is the one thing that's like yours. If like everything you do and make is yours, which means everyone, everything else, like makes is theirs. Exactly. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. Um, but I think one thing that a lot of people say, well, like, well, these larger games, like, they're so monolithic that most, a lot of people that have played them are like, well, why don't you just run your world or whatever with D&D instead of creating your own thing? Which I guess is, to me, is like, that's, that is a fair argument, I guess, because it's like, yeah, it, it kind of does discourage people from limit testing, you know, their own creativity if you know what I mean, like basically saying, yeah. like, hey, like, well, I can just run this game with fifth edition and just paste my world onto it instead of thinking, you know, like a, in a design sense of like how I would design a game. That, But I think people that are going to, that want to do that are going to do that anyway. Um, like I said, I started with D&D and I have like a hundred fucking games that I just made, you know, just because I just am compelled, it's just a compulsion to make it. So, yeah. I mean, I don't think that's really stopping anybody but yeah i could see that argument i mean it makes it makes sense you know and i would just say like instead of uh you know hack or doing you know you can do hacks just to get started like a hack like being you know like a change in the system that kind of more accommodates your whatever you're trying to do but you can do that but just you know do a couple of those and then just do something wild do your own thing you know yeah Um, if you want to i mean I remember when third edition came out, Wizards was talking about um, they made the D20 system to simplify D&D, but also as a way for people to build on top of just centering around a single die roll um, as a way to help 
Yeah. And that, that happened to a certain extent. Cause I remember reading, mm-hmm. I bought the um, cyberpunk like update of like the 2077 update of cyberpunk 2020, where mm-hmm. they had moved everything to like D10, D20 roles. Yeah, where sure. it was, I feel like older versions were more complex in terms of just the randomness. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, like, you're not doing yourself any like disservice by simplifying like the mechanics of something, right? Especially in a yeah. storytelling game where that needs to be the focus of everything. It can't be the numbers themselves. No, that, that's absolutely that's a good point, and. Uh... A lot of these games, like every edition of D&D has been simpler than last one, besides like fourth edition, which I guess kind of went off on its own tangent. But that's good yeah. because they're experimenting and doing what they wanted you know, to do. But like from third edition to, uh, you know, to Pathfinder, which isn't Wizards, but, you know, it seems it, to me, it's like people call it 3.75 or whatever. And, you know, yeah, it, I mean, it makes a lot of simplifications and updates to D&D 3.5. But then, you know, you skip fourth edition and then fifth edition is like much, much simplified even beyond third. So I only when have. Did I... When did mm-hmm. that come out? When did fifth edition come out? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think fifth edition came out probably, I don't, it must have been like 2017. Okay. I think I'm not, I'm actually not really sure. It came out, it was a while ago, but it's, it's made a lot of changes that I think are for the better. As far as right. like be like simple doing what you said, like simplifying around the characters and around like the role playing aspect of it, you know, mm-hmm. like um, and that's good because like the numbers, like who gives a shit really? Like I mean, a lot of people do give a shit, but you can still have the numbers and play, and you can have the simplified shit for you know all the other stuff. So I mean, that's I think it's better to have a system that is like first of all modular and just lets you do what you want. Uh, tear out the pieces you want, tear out whatever, you know, use what you need for your game. But also one that, like, gets out of the way when you just want to act goofy and do stupid shit, like role-playing shit or whatever. Yeah. Because that's very much a part of the game. Not not that that's, you know, stupid shit, you know, that it's bad. I mean, it's... But the system... I don't think there's many systems that can handle that, like, monolithically, if you know what I mean. Like, there's, like, you could make an indie... You could design an indie game you know to handle <clears throat> like a, i don't know that's specifically about like the emotional impact or the energy around a school shooting or something i know yeah. we've done it <laughs> so i mean but <laughs> but but like D could run a school shooting too i mean and i know because i've done it again <laughs> run the school shooting game with you know not with, fifth edition, but with three you know th- third edition um yeah well, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, it's just like can it really can pretty much do anything. It can't do it the best, maybe, but it can do pretty much anything. It can, and that's the jump-off point. There is when you say, "Hey, I'm I'm not getting enough of X, or I'm not getting enough of Y," and you go make your own thing. That's the point of it, you know. That's yeah. and that's but people need that jump-off point, you know. As a kid, you like a 15-year-old or a 13-year-old sitting there, you know, trying to like, how do I? They're not going to sit there and try to come up with a system, probably. I mean, yeah. they might give them the same best first experience like D would yeah. i think that first experience is really super important to getting people mm-hmm. hooked yeah it's the mod culture it's yeah how i started with coding was like just playing around with things that i did not even understand anything and trying to google to find out like how to actually mod this thing because i try yeah. i remember when um someone stole the everquest one source code or whatever yes or like yep. the, the, the server code yeah and then you know slowly a bunch of people who wanted to mod mm-hmm. like the old everquest pvp experience into something that was more functional could be done smaller scale and would still be as fun yeah and a small community like a couple of coders who are building this this game called the the Guild Wars mod of EverQuest, and oh, it was okay. really it was really fun. And then I tried doing it myself, and you know, in high school, where I yeah. know literally nothing about code, hmm. and just trying to like muck it muck it through to like see how it works. Yeah, and like, but like, if someone to say, well, just build your own EverQuest or just build your own game at that point, I would would have been completely lost. But like, 
modding something or hacking something to figure out how it works it's like it should be the like it a lot of times it was the first step for a lot of people and exactly yeah i knew right yeah and okay. then it became like a that pay, a paid thing and fall or fallout um <laughs> just ruined oh, yeah. everything. Yeah, <laughs> the DLC and all that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. yeah. But no, I remember like that period, like that EQ. I think the one I was on is EQ EMU, which was like the first one. Um, oh yeah, yeah. That was the big um, PVE, like yeah, yeah the, one. Yeah, the blue blue server shit. Yeah. Um, I was more into PvP, but I remember I, I did install uh, EQEMU on my computer just so I could, like, go through and look at all the armor and shit, like, what it would look like on my character. <laughs> yeah. I used to use it basically as, like, a little fashion show type simulator or something just to, like, yeah. see what, like, hey, this is, like, you know, this is from, you know, one of the Uber Guild, you know, the, the Uber big, you know, game content, and I could just put it on my character, you know, and just say, hey, yeah, that's cool. That's uh, cool. It's awesome. I remember how terrible armor used to look on everything, except <laughs> yeah. like humans. Mm. Um, back before what the fuck was it called? Va- Valius. Valius. Oh yeah, yeah, the Valius upgrade. Yeah. 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 Just complete dog shit, like an ogre. <laughs> it would just stretch the texture out. Yeah. Yeah. So you get clipping and all kinds of shit. Dude, it was ugly. Yeah. No one seemed to mind back then. Yeah, the yeah, game no, was so, the game was so like mm-hmm. massive, and like the war wasn't great because they tried to integrate like the old text adventure version of an RPG into the MMO, which you know saves a lot of time and money because you can't have voice acting for something that big. Yeah, um, yeah. but like the quests themselves were just really strange. Like, <sighs> Yeah, they wouldn't, they wouldn't. You'd rarely see them, and you'd have to like stumble upon them, right? Yeah. Like, oh god, like, the by hailing. Yeah. Yeah. But then WoW took that concept and improved on it. Yeah. But then made a sort of like a what's it called? Like a on rails type of RPG. Eventually, yeah, well, because like it was very grindy before that. Yeah. No. A lot of the upgrades they made in the WoW, you know, when they basically stole everything from EverQuest and made it vanilla. Uh, because, like, you know, there's the markers on the map that tell you which way to go to the quest. You yeah. Know, you have a real quest system as opposed to just... I remember in EverQuest, you had to type, like, brackets around, like... like Or no, the NPC would give you a text in brackets. Yeah, and that was what you ask them about. That would trigger yeah. it, yeah. I was like, come on, guys. I mean, like... <laughs> and this was one of the... It was one of the first like 3D games, but it it was pretty dog shit, honestly. Most of the quests. Yeah, most and I mean, I think their big update for that was that you were able to click the bracket text rather than yes, have to type yep. it. Boy, that that must that was real late. I think that was Belius actually. I think. Yeah. Because they, uh, yeah, I remember that happening though. It was like, wow, holy shit! You can actually, it's almost functional here. Oh. Uh that fucking game <laughs> oh god yeah <laughs> I, I mean i didn't put in many as many hours into that as i did wow like later on mm-hmm. but i just remember like grinding um in fuck where was it it was on the valius um or no it was on the the uh, skeleton the, the lizard island i can't remember what oh the called. uh the ikshar uh i don't uh was it uh Start with a K, Canark or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And um, having to like grind eight hours of like people pulling eight mobs at a time that would <laughs> that would one shot or two shot like half the party if they got hit or drew aggro. Those yeah, an enchanter. Yep. And having yep. to mesmerize each one individually because I was still oh, not God, at the yeah. level where you got the mass the mass mez. Yes, yep. And that one was dog shit too, because it only lasted like ten seconds compared to the regular single target mesmerize, which was sixty seconds. Yeah. Oh god, fuck that. Oh god, yeah that that was brutal shit. Like EverQuest, I don't think people understand. Like, and they're like fucking twelve classes or something like that. Like super specialized. Like the like you said the mm-hmm. enchanter, which was basically a class designed to um 
to make people that were a certain kind of autistic really happy and make everybody else really fucking miserable, like playing it. And I know because, you know, like I played a, um, I played a necromancer, you know, which was basically that same kind of thing, except for another type of autism, you know, my type of autism, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Necro was like, they were necros were like entirely self-sufficient, but they did yeah. have like a group utility and also right. they had great damage. Whereas Mesmeri- Mes- or, um, Enchanters had like really high group utility, but mm-hmm. you had to be really good and really well geared in order to solo, yeah. which would be like fear kiting. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Which, you know, you like, you're not going to get, you're not going to get anywhere fast. Like you might as well pick up a group because like yeah. you're, um, Celerity, which was the mana regen spell where someone didn't have to rest, which means your group could just keep constantly pulling. Yeah. And that yeah. was the big thing. Like, it, that was like your one contribution, your yep, main contribution crack. to the. Yeah. Yeah. Selling that crack. I mean, they used to sell it. I mean, they used to like sell it for yeah. platinum. They'd say, hey, crack it, wherever. Yeah. You'd sell, yeah, you'd sell it to like solovers, like necromancers yeah. or whatever, so they didn't have to bleed yep. themselves too much. Yep. And then uh, Druids would be selling Teleports and Spirit of the Wolf. Oh, so, yeah. Yep, I remember that. And, yep. then, and then, yeah, Wizards Teleport, Druids Teleport, too. Yeah. That was the coolest, I think, aspect of that game was that you had you you couldn't be fully... It was very rare that you were self-reliant. Definitely. Unless you were playing, yeah. like, a Wizard or a fucking Druid. Yeah. Yep. And, um... Yeah, like just some just to pick up on something else you said, um, like the way the classes were set up, um, like th- it felt like, and I've rarely seen any other game that feels like this. The only other game I've seen that feels like this is League of Legends, where like you have heroes that match like certain, or they feel like they match certain personality types. Like you feel mm-hmm. like you're connecting with your hero. You know, like right. I know like EverQuest, like I felt very at home in like the Necromancer or, or like the Rogue. But, like, you have other, like, people, like, you can, it's almost like you can slip your personality over, like, the jobs these classes have. Because, like I said, with the Enchanter, like, it's a very social-focused class where you have, you know, you have to call out mezes, you have to, you know, you're dispensing, like, these buffs that have huge impact on the rest of the game, huge impact on the rest of everybody's ability to play the fucking game. Yeah. Like, it's a real, it's a social class. Same with Bard, like, where you're twisting the songs. And, you know, oh, you're yeah. doing all this stuff that your personal group needs. It makes you feel like needed in a way that most games today, I think, really just don't have that parallel. They don't have... They're all around solo play unless they're like um, yeah. like Battle Royale FPS games. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you I really felt like I could slip into that character, like in a character sense, which is really weird for a video game. Like, I, I don't feel that much. I feel it in like League of Legends. Because, you know, like some of the heroes are made like, you know, for my particular brand of, you know, the Tism or whatever. Um, <laughs> and I really honestly, truly to God, like feel like at home with some of these heroes in a way that like no like character in a video game has made me say like I identify with that character. Because yeah. like I can identify with like, you know, you know, Lissandra or something like that, like a lol champion that just they're pretty much just like they have like one or two things they do. Like, Lissandra does DPS, but the way she does it, the way each of these champions, like, act is so, like, unique, and so it feels so, like, so, like, you when you're playing it. It's really difficult to explain, but I've never felt that with any narrative, anything anybody's written, you know, for a video game. You know, like, no no character that's been written has made me feel the same way. I feel, like, mechan- like from a mechanical, um, or, you know, from stuff resulting from mechanical choice. Yeah, person made. It's really strange. It's bizarre. I, I have two. Um, I have two comments. One, they're both connected to what you're saying. The first one is: Have you ever played Disco Elysium as an empath? No. You should do that. Because mm. I had like I got I had a fucking panic attack playing that game like immediately really? just from yeah it was just connecting a little too fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. Um. The second one is, have you ever seen or heard of uh, a TV show on Netflix called Love on the Spectrum, which is like a reality TV show about uh, Australian 
uh, men and women with autism and trying to like get them to like feel comfortable dating. Uh, I've heard of the show. I haven't watched it. I haven't had Netflix in a while, but I was actually going to get it this month because I want to watch that Squid Game. But yeah. Right. No, yeah. I, have to, I have to check that out. A week and a half ago, um, like two of my exes messaged me. She's like, have you ever watched Love on the Spectrum? I'm like, I feel this is going somewhere. I feel like you're going somewhere with this beyond <laughs> just this is a good TV show. Yeah. But I watched parts of like clips of it and it's pretty heartwarming. Like Oh cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'll have to I'll have to check it out. That's like my kind of sounds like my kind of thing just from the name of the show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like there was like it has that same sort of like they're not it's the reality TV show that's not trying to like cut people down or like just be over dramatic or yeah. Bring that like it's like meant to be like heartwarming. Like fucking yeah. what's that show called? Like uh, queer eye. You ever watched the new Yeah, queer eye. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like I was like it inspired me to, you know, yeah. buy clothes from a place other than a thrift store. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's not too sanctimonious, but it doesn't like shit on people either. I like stuff. Yeah, like it's it's like meant to uplift like the whole thing is about uplifting someone rather than trying to like Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, love on the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. But no, uh, Disco Elysium. I would definitely, I would definitely go for that one. I've heard a lot of good things about it. Um, I'll definitely, I'm definitely gonna have to check it out. It's on Steam, but I was waiting for it to come to the Switch. Because I want a reason to to turn my switch on. It <laughs> was not already on the switch. Uh, I don't. I thought it was coming to the switch or something. Right. It might already be on the switch, actually. If it is, and I'll probably pick it up. I know they did it with. It's on uh, Planescape. Is on the switch now and has been for a couple of years. And I think it's also on the phone. Uh, Disc Elysium is on phone. I'm pretty sure. Oh, really? Okay. I bet my phone probably wouldn't run it because it's like a $25 track phone. Right, right. You're saying that. Right. Oh, yeah. Disco Elysium is on the Switch. The final cut made it to the Switch. Sick. Oh, wait, no, no, my bad. In a couple of days, October 12th. Oh, shit. Perfect timing. Yeah, perfect timing. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you turned me on to that because that's, yeah, that's something I had been looking to, uh, to get. So. No, yeah, like, fuck. Like I'm, I'm, I'm scared to continue playing it mildly. So I'm just gonna give it another week or so. Yeah. I go back to it. Yeah. Cause it's so good. Like the writing yeah. is just fucking amazing. Yeah. It's weird because I don't. I almost never ever connect with like writing in a game or like you know like the narrative aspects of it. Right. But uh, but like I said, like League of Legends and like EverQuest, like the way those. The way they get at certain parts of your personality, the way like the mechanics like tweak certain parts of your personality and reward you almost for certain parts of your own personality is in yeah. a way I haven't really seen any other game do. And it's really strange for the types of games that those are, like especially LOL, because LOL is just like an action, like whatever, you know. Have you ever and, thought about um, like getting a list of all the dialogue or monologue or uh, quips or chirps or whatever mm-hmm. that each hero has and analyzing them like how oh. they relate because like I'm thinking back to um, just in general like when you play so many RPG games and mm-hmm. the world is reacting to your actions because you're the center point yeah. of of the game you're in and you hear <laughs> things people are saying even they don't know it's you like mm-hmm. that fable thing, right? Like fable is yeah. like they're trying to chase you down and like, like and either like praise or like um, be belligerent towards your character. Yeah. But in yeah. other RPGs that are, you, you'll hear talking on the radio or talking or whatever, and it's oh. all related to your character. Yeah. No, that's very true. And and like having a character speak which they don't typically in rpgs and outside of cutscenes, mm-hmm. um but in like like a multiplayer game like league of legends 
and you relating to the things the characters are saying there personally mm-hmm. as like an aspect of your personality. Yeah. You know, and I that... Had the... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, but that, that is one aspect that I know is definitely great for League of Legends is the voice work. How much of the narrative they communicate through like voice lines, you know, like the little stupid things like, you know, you'll click on a soldier in StarCraft and it'll say something. But it's like that for League of Legends where you click on someone to move your hero and they're saying like voice lines. I can still like, I still like quote those like just in my daily life. I mean, like, you know, Ezreal's line there, you know, like you belong in a museum or like fucking, you know, let's go exploring you know, fucking shit, like, you know, know your environment. Like, I just find myself saying shit like that just in real life. And But it connects that strongly, you know, and the characters that, like, I play, you know, I know a lot of their voice lines, and I'll find myself saying those, too. And it Mm -hmm. it is definitely something with that. that, And that aspect of the thing or whatever that team, you know, does that, they do a fucking phenomenal job there. Because, like, all of the voice work, certainly not only communicates the character but gets at that thing where like you know it's it's part it becomes part of you right the weirdest thing i noticed about coming back to games like that um and listening to the dialogue or the what the characters were saying i'm like this is all like tidbits or like snippets of like weird esoterica not just like western or christian esoterica but like yeah the characters have themes pulled from the mythology of their own personal setting and Mm. things that they talk about or how they relate to the game itself yeah even if it's all like pre-scripted or whatever um there's like snippets of this mythology or like weird esoterica that kind of goes runs through games like that um like even I'm trying to think of another example. Um, Hearthstone, Hearthstone World of Warcraft yeah. too, also yeah. has because like World of Warcraft in general borrowed a lot from various types of you know mythology from not just like Central or Western Europe but also Northern Europe. When you go to like uh, what the fuck is it called? The northern place, like the ice ice crown citadel area. Oh yeah, yeah. Northrend, is that what it's called? Northrend, yeah, yeah. And like all of that, the entire area is completely like it's full of not just northern European, but like northern in general mythology. Hmm. And you're experiencing mythology through the filter of this game that's brand new, but you're getting like a an affinity for something even if you don't understand it at the time yeah it like filters into you just through the you know secondhand like lore and stuff like that which is like you know mimicking real world but you you get an understanding of it just because you're so immersed in it yeah it's interesting and it's like sits in your subconscious it does yeah because i've never read anything about Northrend specifically from any like World of Warcraft like commentary or whatever about this area's mythology even though the entire thing is pulled from you know Norse Norse myth and especially like the big like the big bads in that area are the the giant sort of like Northmen called Valken, Valkyr and then even in Ice Crown Citadel the the enemies are rooted in not just Norse, but like Northern mythology of like bad guys. You have like the twin Valkyrs and then you have like the weird vampiric magic people from like um, Eastern European mythology. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's all, it's all kind of rolled together into this like thing. It's weird because you find yourself like talking about the game and you'll talk to someone who's like into mythology or whatever, and they'll be like, "Well, are you talking about like this or whatever?" Because they, if they haven't played, the game. Um, yeah. But like, it's all, and that's how close it is because it's like you said, it's that closely related, you know, type of type of thing. Because they so much from there, and they stole it in a way that like references it too. You know, where to talk about mm-hmm. the game, you necessarily have to reference the other thing, and that's cool. And that's a really good point. Yeah, that's how I feel about like cool like games like that 
that are not meant to be so dialogue driven or narrative driven, but meant to you exploring a world, you can sort of present things that have already existed and things that still exist hmm. in a way that, you know, you're not really, you, you, you accept, but like you don't, you're not at consciously thinking about it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely. it just stays there like a little nugget in your subconscious. Yeah. Yeah, I want to make a video again. <laughs> yeah, big mood, honestly. Yeah. Guess I'm learning C sharp. <laughs> Unity, get in, get yeah. in there. I would start with a card game though, because they're simple and it's more mechanics based, and like, hmm. not have to worry about the interconnectivity of all these animations and whatever. You just have the. Yeah, I mean, Hearthstone was actually made in Unity, I think. So yeah. Is that basically yeah, it? Was. Yeah. Yeah. No, right, you said you had a, you said you got to pop out at one or four at your time. Oh uh, yeah. Yep. All um, right. Cool. Got any upcoming stuff to plug? <laughs> uh, not, not really. Not so much. I'm still working on that Obliques game, uh, which is basically a superhero game. Uh, that uses eye tracking software um, to do stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, what? <clears throat> I don't want to. Sorry, I don't want to get into it too much. But it basically, uses eye tracking software to mimic the feeling of like the loss of control of powers. I think they call it power incontinence on TV tropes. That kind of trope of like, hey, like I can't really control what the fuck I'm doing. You know, like Cyclops or something like that, where take off oh. the visor and he's all fucked up. Damn, that's that's pretty deep. Can't wait to play it. Yeah, it's I'm I'm still working on it. That's what I'm working on now. All right, sick. But thanks for having me on. It's definitely it's definitely a pleasure to talk to you, man. That's good. Yeah, we should uh, we should we should do the duo. We just have it, Rudy and Daniel's uh, (laughs) power hour. No, we got to get William on here at some point too. Yeah. The, uh, uh, he's, he's he's been busy, right? Yeah, yeah, he's been really busy uh, doing like family stuff, and he's right. out of town for a bit. So yeah, but no, we sure. definitely it's definitely fun. Really appreciate like the opportunity to come on and just talk shit. It's good, man. I like I like like it's 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 interesting. It's like the it's better than just the tweeting, you know? Yeah, and, no, and then some message you get you can go deeper into things. Definitely. All right. Well, you have a good Friday. You too, man. See ya. Take